you and I as followers of Jesus Christ are called to live out the truth. What is the truth? Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus Christ is truth. You and I have been given an incredible privilege, honor, but also responsibility to live out the truth. As we all look at 2017 this year, how would we like to see 2017 different in our lives? We may have some things there dealing with uh, life itself as we live here, but uh, I want to go a little deeper. How do we want to see 2017 different in a spiritual realm in our lives? I've been praying for quite a while about this year, and I've said many times I'm hoping this is the best year that you've ever had, that I've ever had, that we've all grow, but we also have an incredible experience with God this year. And uh, I even say that in birthday cards. I've been sending out a few birthday cards to friends and family here lately. But I would probably categorize 2017 for us, as uh, your pastor desires to lead us this way, as back to the basics. And uh, we can do a lot of things in our faith, but, you know, we need to have that foundation and the basics first before we can truly be used of God the way he wants to use us. And so what do the basics look like to me and should look like to us, I believe? It means that we're going to read the Bible more, we're going to study the Bible more, and we're going to live out the Bible in greater ways this year. And uh, I want to tell you that... Um, had the privilege about two months ago to see a conference that was going on in Washington, D.C. at the end of last week, and so I said, hey, I'm going to go to that. And it was an expository preaching conference led by Dr. Stephen Lawson. And uh, I came home and told a couple of friends and told Amy, probably the smartest, most brilliant theologian I've ever had the personal privilege of sitting under for about two and a half days. Preached his heart out, but he had an understanding of God's Word like... Very few men I've heard before. And as I was sitting at that conference being blessed and having God's word poured over me through this precious man in his preaching and his sharing God's word, I begged God that he would take my preaching to another level this year too. And so I want to be very transparent and, and uh, open with you that I'm praying that God continues to grow me. And I'm also praying as your pastor and somebody that truly loves you uh, that I hope that you see something in your life too that you'd like to see God change and grow in your life this year. You know, we've all got experiences of Christ and we all have experiences with His Holy Word, but what is there a couple things in your life you'd like to see God change in your life? I want to share with you what would help me as your pastor here in preaching on Sundays. You'll notice every week we've been putting a little sermon notes sheet of paper in your bulletin. You can bring a notebook if you want to buy a notebook. That's easier for you to keep up with or if you want to pull that out each week and then out away some place, but I'd encourage you to bring a pen at least to services from now on, and uh, that you might be able to take some notes and write down some scripture. Man, that scripture kind of spoke to me today. I want to go back and research it myself, or there's a couple words in that scripture that the pastor didn't share what they meant, but I want to go back and look up what those words really mean, but I want you to come every Sunday. This is the second thing. Bring that pen. Bring a notebook if you want, but I'm providing a piece of paper for you there, but come expecting for God to speak to you personally that God has something personal for you to hear, and you walk out of here. And listen, I pray this every Sunday morning, that when you come in here and listen to the sermon, that you don't see Gary Stewart, that you see Jesus Christ. I pray all the time to stay out of his way. I pray that God's word would be presented in a form that would be understandable, but it would be preached with all boldness and all might, his boldness and his might, not mine. 
we have an incredible opportunity to grow. And uh, since about last October or so, I kind of felt led to preach the book of Matthew this year, the gospel. Well, why that? Because that's the foundation of what we have. Had a opportunity, I had a couple of friends that went to that same conference last week, and he was preaching through the book of Mark. I said, what, what made you pick Mark over Matthew? And he said, well, I almost did Matthew, but Mark's a little shorter. And uh, so I said, well, at least he's honest. But um, the gospel is the gospel is the gospel. The gospel is life-changing. It's the story of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that's simply the gospel story. And so as we understand this, and Matthew is written as a floodlight and a spotlight pointed on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It talks about the glory of God. It talks about Jesus Christ and who he was and his person and gives stories, but also it is there so we can see Jesus Christ in a new light, illuminated in a greater way for you and I. You know, as I was preparing to do Matthew, in fact, I had my first sermon kind of working up, and I'm going to try to give you a homework assignment every week about Matthew. This next week, if you get time, I'd like to have you read the first 17 verses of chapter 1 of Matthew. And it's a genealogy. You say, how can he preach for on that? You know, I've known some pastors that preach for a couple months on the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We're not going to spend a couple months. We'll spend one Sunday. But I want you just to look at that a little bit. There's another genealogy in the Bible as well, in, the, in, the, in another gospel. You know which one it is? Luke, absolutely. It's chapter 3. If you get time, a little extra few minutes, look at that one too. And try to figure out the difference between the two. They're two different genealogies. The same people, but they're different. So you look at those and get kind of acquainted with those things and some of those characters and do as much study as you want. And that's where we're going to go next week. But I thought what a perfect place for you and I to start this morning as we prepare our hearts and minds to study the Psalms. And uh, in particular, Psalms 1. And I want you to kind of know a little about Psalms before we get into it, especially Psalms 1. People love the Psalms. They really do. Have you ever seen one of those Bibles you can get? It's a New Testament plus the Psalms in the bookstore. Never see a New Testament plus the book of Malachi, do you? Or the book of Zechariah. It's always the book of Psalms if they put another book in there, the Old Testament. I want you to understand that the book of Psalms is like the Mount Everest of the Old Testament. It's huge. The book of Psalms consists of scriptures and things that, that run from the very creation to the book of Revelation. It's all encompassed there. Many great theologians have called the book of Psalms the small Bible, the miniature Bible, because it has everything in there. It covers everything that's covered in the Bible to some extent. 23 of the 27 New Testament books have quotes from the Psalms. There's 97 Psalms quoted in the New Testament. I've shared this with you before, too, but I, I, I think this would be an incredible year for you as well to try to read a book of the Psalms, a chapter of the Psalms, every single day of your life. There's 150 of them, so it almost goes five months with the Psalms. And then you start again. The book of Psalms talks about a relationship with God. The book of Proverbs talks about a relationship with people. Both of those are great books to help us kind of understand life from God's perspective. But if you want to grow closer to God this year, I highly recommend and advocate you take a look at Psalms, try to read one every day, and say, God, what are you showing me today about our relationship? God, what do you want me to learn today in the book of Psalms, in this particular chapter I'm reading, about my relationship with you? We're going to focus on Psalms 1 today. But I want you to know that Psalms 1 was not the first psalm that was written. The first psalm that was written historically was Psalms 90. The last psalm that was written was Psalms 126. 
There was over a thousand years between those two psalms, the Psalm 90 and Psalm 26, as far as the writing of the psalms. We say, well, why was Psalms 1 put there first? Because it was the entryway into the psalms, it was a gateway to the psalms, but it was also the gateway in the, in the, in, in the entrance into life. This psalm is huge. You're very familiar a lot of times in our services, at the end of service, I'll give a gospel presentation here. I'll invite people to come to know Christ. You know what's happening here in the first book of Psalms? It's a gospel presentation. He puts it right up front. He's telling us that you have two ways of life you can choose. There's two different avenues of life that you can choose. Psalms 1 serves as a great praise and a great preface to life. You know, some people call it an acorn that kind of lays fold to the whole forest of the Bible. It is, it's truly an incredible way to enter in to life. I mentioned there's two ways to enter in. There's either we can enter into life or we can enter into death. We, it can either be the highway or the low way in our life. It, it can be God's ways or the enemy's way in our life. And this psalm, very simply, in six verses, lays out a choice we have. And I want you to hear this morning, I've been praying for quite a while about this message, but I've also been praying today that every one of us would understand that we've made the right decision. The psalms is very clear about the gospel, too. It's very clear about the history of the Old Testament. We'll look at a couple of those things here this morning. But the biggest thing it's clear about is that you have a choice to make. I can go God's way or I can go the enemy's way, the world's way, Satan's way, the evil way. It's very, very clear here. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, stand with me, if you will, and turn to Psalms 1. This scripture here is, in a moment is going to call out self-evaluation, and I'm praying you do that. It's going to call you and I to audit our own souls. Where's my soul at today? Is my soul where it belongs? Have I made the right decision? Well, I made a decision a number of years ago, but I don't know if I really understood what I was doing. I've heard that over through the years. About people say, I made it when I was real young, but I didn't understand what I was doing, so I want to make it again. I want to rededicate my life. I want to make sure that I have Jesus Christ because I want that change that it talks about here. Psalms 1, first verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But, don't you love the word but in the Bible? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. The godly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore then godly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows, think about that, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, we thank you today that your word lives. Father, speak to our hearts. Father, I pray for every one of us, beginning with the pastor, Father, that we would have an open mind and an open heart today, Father. Lord, we could remove the distractions, Father, and have this singular focus, Father, on your holy words here in these six beautiful verses, Father that give us an, an opportunity, Father, to choose the way of our life, Father, to examine our own soul, Father, to examine the things and self-evaluate where we stand with you this day. And, Father, I pray right now in the power of the Holy Spirit, Father, that you'd move in each one of us this day and change our lives yet again for eternity. Father, we thank you once again for all these things in the precious, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever had an experience before of flying to a big airport, and you're going to get a connecting flight, and you get to that airport, and you get off at the A 
ramp. And the A, um, concourse, yeah, thank you, sweetheart. My thesaurus is down here. The A concourse, and you realize my connecting flight, I got 20 minutes, and my connecting flight's on the E concourse. I got to get all the way down there. And you think to yourself, wouldn't it be awesome if the gate was right next door to the one I'm getting off? I'm getting off at A, wouldn't it, or, or number five, wouldn't it be nice if my gate was number six? But you realize you got to go catch a tram or a train and get all the way to the opposite end of the airport, and I got 20 minutes to do it, so you're doing the old hustle through the airport there. But we all realize that I could, I could get on gate number six there, maybe if they let me on, but it wouldn't get me where I'm going. I wouldn't get to, I got to go all the way to the other concourse and get on that gate there where it says I'm going to Nashville or Tennessee or, or Washington, D.C., wherever I'm going. I need to get on that concourse and on that different concourse and on that specific gate because there's a specific gate that's going to get me to where, listen very carefully, where I'm going. What God is telling us in the Holy Scripture here is there's a specific gate that you and I need to get, in, get through and walk through to get where we're going. There's many different paths before us in life. Every life, listen very carefully, is marked by the choices we make. We make choices to do all kinds of things. Decisions determine destinies. Decisions determine destinies. Think about that for a second. The decision I made. I made bad ones in my life. I made good ones. But they always determine our destiny. There's two paths of life. Blessings and curses. Salvation and destruction. Godly and ungodly. God has given us a phenomenal opportunity by having free will to make these decisions. You know, there's a lot of talk today about prosperity. We're going to talk about something totally different in the realm of prosperity this morning, though. I'm not talking this morning about how big your bank account is, how big your stock market holdings are, how wonderful and huge your house is, how many cars you have, how many votes you have. What we're talking about today, listen very carefully, is the prosperity of our heart. Where is my heart at? Where is my soul at? What is the prosperity of my soul? What is the future of my soul? What am I planning into my soul? What's happening to my soul right now as I live on this earth? It doesn't matter if we live in a palace or if we live in a prison. God has a plan for our hearts. We can grow in prosperity in our soul. We're talking true prosperity this morning. Look at verse 1 for just a second. It talks about, Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the godly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I don't know if there's any other book or any other chapter of the Bible that starts out with a greater positive statement. Blessed is the man. The book begins with God's abundant blessings. You know, the essence of what he's talking about here is the fact that God has given us forgiveness, but he's also given us favor. Forgiveness. What does that mean? It means I'm not condemned. Romans 8 says there is no condemnation in the Lord. You know, the Lord's Prayer. I was impressed that the First Lady said it the other day in public. How awesome. But the, first, the, the uh, Lord's Prayer says this, that we ask every day for daily bread. You know what else we should do? Ask every day for forgiveness. God has given us forgiveness. Am I living in His forgiveness? We are if we've accepted Jesus Christ. But God wants us to confess our sins. God wants us to be transparent with Him. God is not confused. God's know, God knows when we're not walking where we need to be walking. And we need to confess that. We need to have such an intimate relationship. We want nothing to stand in the way of my relationship with God. He knows when we sin before we sin. He knows what's going on in our life. But God wants you and I to be transparent and walk with Him in such an intimate way that we don't want anything standing in the way of my relationship with Him. 
I don't want anything to block God's total grace package. God has given His grace to me. I want to stand in such a way as I receive that every day. And then it talks about being favored. I'm forgiven, but I'm also favored by God. How awesome. The abundant life. I want you to know, too, that when we're walking right, you know what? God's not passing out blessings with an eyedropper, okay? God desires to flood our lives with blessings. God wants us to live in such a way that we bring glory to Him. Why? Because I can't begin to tell you my life. The abundant life doesn't have a whole lot to do with material blessings. We're thankful for those. Thankful we're born in America, that we have the incredible blessings of material things. The, the blessings he's truly talking about here, though, have to, everything to do with my soul and my heart. It's interesting here, too. He starts out this with a, with a negative. He says, blessed is a man, but he's, he's blessed when he does not do these things. He starts out with a ne- negative. He says, do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. He has a not and two nors. Negative things. He says, don't do these. If you want to be blessed, don't do these. Let me tell you this. This is sometimes where we get off track because we get kind of pulled away in the wrong direction. You know what we're talking about, these three negatives, the not and the nor and the norm? Do not sit in the council of ungodly. He's saying, don't believe the things of this world. Believe my holy word here. And then in the, when he says, nor stand in the path of sinners, he's talking about our behavior. And then he's saying here that do not sit in the seat of scornful. He's talking about being. Don't believe. Don't behave. Because if you do, you've got to begin being that kind of person. Heard a little saying a while back. It said this. I love it. Stinking thinking <coughs> becomes stinking living. Stinking living becomes stinking being. You know, it's sad that our beliefs are kind of on a de- descending decadence when we're walking in the world. It just continues to get worse and worse. Bad company corrupts good behavior. Did you hear that? Bad company corrupts good behavior. Jesus Christ tells us to put off the old man, put on the new man. You and I have to be different. We really have to be different in the light of the Lord to make a difference. God's not going to use us if we're walking around holding on to the world with all we have. The psalmist here is telling us, blessed is a man if you do not do these things. Verse 2 says this, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his delight he meditates day and night. His delight is in the present tense. You know what that means? It means a habitual lifestyle. I delight and I dwell in God's holy word. I love it. I'm hungry and thirsty for it. Our delight, don't miss this thought this morning, our delight in God's holy word authenticates our relationship. You hear that? Our delight in God's holy word authenticates our relationship. I can't get enough of God. It's like the old lady's potato chip. Can't eat with just one. I can't get enough of God. I love him so much I just kind of get in his word. If I miss getting his word one day, I feel bad about it. I got to stop everything, call time out, and get back in my word. A couple questions for you and I this morning. Am I drinking from a deep well? Am I drinking from a deep well? Am I seeing things that are running all the way and flooding my soul with God's truth? Is God's holy word flooding my life every day? 
Am I meditating on God's Word every day? I love it in Joshua 1.8. Actually, the whole first chapter. God is trying to encourage Joshua. He's saying, be strong and have good courage. He says it three times. He tells him, you can be strong and have good courage because you're going to have my promises here. I promise, just like I promised Moses, I promise you. He says, you're going to have my power, but then you're also going to have my presence. Be strong and have good courage. But then he tells him how to be strong and have good courage, how to walk with me in a powerful way. You know what it was? He says... Do not let the law depart out of your mouth. What are you saying there? Don't stop thinking about me. Don't stop standing on my word. Don't stop meditating on my word. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. It couldn't be any clearer. It's, it's hard to do, though. It's very hard to do. Why? Because we're busy. We are busy. We do a lot of important things, too. The question for you and I today, is there really anything more important we'll ever do in our life than getting God's word? The answer is no. No. You know why? Man, i got all these problems with my kids. Well, how am I going to help solve those problems? And how am I going to be that leader by God's holy word? My marriage isn't where it needs to be. How am I going to get better? God's holy word. I'm not doing well at my work. I just have a bad attitude at my work. How do I get a better attitude? God's holy word. There's nothing, nothing more important than being serious about God's word and dwelling on it day and night. The love of God's word is a clear indication that you have a new birth. I'm a brand new person. I'm not the person I used to be. I'm a brand new creation. You know how I can tell? Because, man, I'm immersed in God's Word, and I'm growing God every day. I'm seeing God in an incredible, incredible way. I'm seeing God like I've never seen Him before, and it's changing my life. Look at verse 3. He tells us what happens when we meditate on God's Word day and night. And this is a beautiful word picture. He shall be like a what? A tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever, I love this, whatever he does shall prosper. When I meditate on God's Word, I'm going to be like a tree growing by rivers of flowing water. I want you to think about that. Look at the word river. Some of your books say stream. Some of your Bibles say stream. It's plural. You know what that says? You're going to have more holy living water flow over than you can even handle. God's going to do incredible things. When I meditate on God's Word, He's going to have a, we're going to have an overflowing supply of God's Abundant strength and grace. When I get serious about God's word, you know what? He blesses beyond what I can handle. It's so much I can't take it anymore. God runs over me all the time with his holy word. Seeing God's word flow, flow over me and wash over me and cleanses me. and makes me beautiful and precious in his sight. God is talking too about water coming from all ways. Not just from the top and from rain and things and the rivers and trees. He's talking about an underground reservoir, too. Where's that underground reservoir? That underground reservoir is when I know God's Word and something comes upon me and I don't like it or it's kind of taking me in the wrong direction. i got this deep, deep reservoir inside me and say, hey, God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. God's in control. I love the fact here, too, that he said God's Word is so potent that whatever, whatever, Whatever he does prospers. Whether it's at home, at work, at church, in the workplace out there, it's spiritual prosperity. It's an inner strength prosperity. It's a soul prosperity. It's prosperity in every area of my life. I don't know if you've heard about the Joshua tree before. It's out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. Mojave Desert's in California. Nothing grows in the Mojave Desert except one thing, the Joshua tree. The Joshua tree does not need the circumstances, rain. doesn't need good soil. You know what the Joshua tree has? 
The Joshua tree has deep, deep, deep roots. The question for you and I, do I have deep roots with God? Am I planted in God's Word? Am I meditating on it day and night? Am I in God's Word every day? Am I growing in God's Word? Am I growing in my understanding? Do I memorize Scripture? Do I understand God's Word as it applies to me? Is God speaking to me personally? When I read God's Holy Word, do I see Scriptures and verses here in the Bible that have my name on them? God, you're speaking to me today. Do I enter into that time expecting God to speak to me? Do I enter in from the perspective that I want God to talk to me today? I want God to show me. Every time we sit down and read our Bible, we should say, God, I want you to speak to me today personally. I want you to notice one other thing here about verse 3. Verse 3 is powerful. It said he should be like a tree planted. What does that mean? That means that that tree got transplanted. And we all know that we can't transplant ourselves, can we? That tree, some foreign object or foreign person transplanted that tree. This is Christology right here. We're talking about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament book of Psalms. It's the gospel. God desires to take your life and my life when we accept him as our personal Savior and transplant us. Make us a brand new tree. A brand new creation. That tree started in the desert. But God planted that tree next to rivers of flowing water. It's a beautiful picture of the new birth. He moved us from death to life. It's done from the outside. You know, it begs the question in years of my life, what did I do to be born physically? Nothing, right? I was just there. Popped out one day. Didn't do anything to be born. Somebody else did that. It's the same in our relationship with God. It's the same as somebody transplanted that tree. God transplanted that tree. God transplants you as well to understand that thing. Look at verses 4 and 5. We see the other side of the coin. It says, the ungodly are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteousness. The blessed man and the wicked man, per these verses right here, they're not even close. Not even close. There's people that are very outwardly religious, but they're inwardly not that way. They're wicked. Many people look successful, but inwardly they're failing in God's eyes. It's easy to fake it. It really is. But God knows. God knows the difference. Unfortunately, there's too many people that are doing what God forbids in verse 1. They're walking, they're standing, and they're sitting in the council of wicked. You know, the psalmist here is a master communicator. All through the psalms, it's beautiful. The pictures that he paints here, they're black and white. There's no comparison between the man that is blessed and the man that's wicked. It's the difference here he paints with a tree versus chaff. When we think about chaff, we're thinking about a picture of harvest time. You know the story. They cut down all the grain. They put it in a harvesting room, and then they thrash it. They beat it. They smash it to separate the grain from the chaff. The chaff is the worthless part of the stem and the worthless part of the little feathers that come out of that. The grain is what they're after. So they smash this grain that they've harvested. And then they begin throwing it in the air. They typically do this in a high barn or somewhere in a hill. So when they throw all the grain in the air, what happens? The wind comes and blows away the chaff. And what falls to the ground? The heavier pieces of the grain. They hit the ground there. That's what they're after. That's what they want. The chaff, listen very carefully, is worthless. What do they do? What do those farmers do with the chaff? They burn it up. Get rid of it. Get it out of there. You know, it's interesting. 
Just as chaff is worthless, the Bible here is telling us, and the the chaff has no value. The Bible is telling us here, a wicked person has no value as well. They're wicked. They're empty. They're void. They're futile. They're shallow. They have no value. Verse 5, he says, For the Lord knows, I'm sorry, for the ungodly shall not stand in judgment. What do you mean they won't stand in judgment? I'm here to tell you that they're missing God's positive judgment. They have no right standing with God at the end of times, in the last days. No acceptance and no grace. They won't have God's approval in the end days if they've been standing in the wicked ways. Are the ungodly blessed? No. Are the ungodly joy-filled? No. Are they successful in the realm of the Lord? No. Are they fruitful? No. This verse right here we just read, verses 2 and 3, verses, verses 4, 5, and 6, it begs the question in yours my life, does my life look more like a tree planted by rivers of water or like chaff? Where's my life? Is my life counting for the cause of Christ? I'm not saying that you're worthless just being a human being because everybody has value in God's eyes. God wants nobody to perish. You're made in God's image. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. The question is, though, in my spiritual realm, am I being counted like a tree that's planted by rivering waters? Verse 6, the final verse here. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. God's laying right out here very simply what he just talked about in the previous five verses. Two choices in life. I can go the way of the righteous, or I can go in the way of the wicked. You know, I told you that there's phenomenal Christology in these verses. But you know what? Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 7 of Matthew, chapter 7 of Matthew? He says, you can enter by the narrow gate, for wide is a gate, and broad is a way that leads to what? Destruction. And there are many that go that way. Because the native, the, the narrow, but because narrow is the gate, it's difficult to lead the way of life. And there are few who find it. This scripture we're talking about right now points to Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. Points to the Beatitudes. I told you the book of Psalms is just a beautiful, small picture of the entire Bible. It gives us a picture of Jesus Christ. It gives us a picture of the Bible. It's worthy of studying Psalms because it reinforces and undergirds what we read about in the whole rest of the entire Bible. We have an incredible opportunity to receive Jesus Christ. It's there for us. I told you that the Bible points to all kinds of things. It points to the gospel. Psalms 1, Psalms 2, Psalms 34, Psalms 37 all present the gospel. Many of those things, it's beautiful just like contrast right here, your choice. It's the most beautiful picture, I believe, in the whole Bible that points us. You can go one of two ways. Pointing towards Christ to come. Psalms 95, I want you to turn real quick there. I want you to see kind of what we've been talking about here this morning, what God's telling us here. Psalms 95, beginning with verse 6. And this, this speaks to the wilderness. The Israelites sat in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, I don't want you to miss this thought because God's sharing his Bible through his psalmist here, what happened to his people along the way and what can happen, the choices we have here. Psalms 95, verse 6, it begins like this. He says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. He's talking about the Israelites. When your fathers, their ancestors, tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work, 
For 40 years I was grieved with that generation. That's the wilderness. And said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. You know what he's saying here? He said that whole generations of Israelites, listen very carefully, are not going to enter into heaven. That whole generation of Israelites that did not go into the promised land, that chose not to go, are not going to go in to heaven someday. They're not going to find their way in heaven someday. Why? This is huge. Because they never entered into the promised land. They never entered the promised land. What do you mean, Pastor? Just because they didn't go there? No. It's because of their lack of faith. They didn't believe God. They didn't trust God. They didn't live in such a way as they pointed people to God. Because why? Because Joshua and Caleb did. And what happened to Joshua and Caleb? And everybody under the age of 20, they went into the promised land because Joshua and Caleb trusted God. They said, I believe God more than I believe those giants. I'm trusting God more than this. Do we have that kind of faith in our walk? If we truly call ourselves Christians, that's what the Scripture is saying here, we should walk this way. We should look like trees planted beside living water, running water. The two choices cannot be clear for you and I. And this is my heart this morning, that every one of us would discern these things. We do a soul-wrenching heart search right now and say, where am I in this realm right now? Am I truly where I belong? And let me tell you this, nothing to be embarrassed about. About 18 years ago on the staff at Grove Avenue Baptist Church, we had a revival. We had Bailey Smith come. Some of you older folks might remember him. Phenomenal evangelist. Came. We saw 68 people get saved. Four of those guys were deacons. About six of them were Sunday school teachers. Really? Got saved? These guys have been deacons for years. But you know what? They came to a heart-wrenching, heart-searching, true accounting and audit of where they're at. And they said, I want Jesus Christ. I want to make sure I got Jesus Christ because, you know, I might not be here tomorrow. We'll make sure these things. You can get there from here today. Story about a fellow that was traveling in Ireland. He got lost. Saw an old farmer over in the field over there and walked over to the old farmer. He said, hey, can you tell me how to get from here to Dublin? That farmer said, I would never go to Dublin from here. You know, there's a lot of folks that hear about the salvation message, hear about Jesus Christ, but they say, you know, I, I don't know if I'll go to him today from here. You can get there from there, here today. The scripture tells us, listen very carefully, that today, today is the day of salvation. Why, do you, why does the scripture tell us that? First of all, there's no time like the present. But how many people in this room can guarantee that they got tomorrow? I don't think anybody can, can we? That's why it says today is the day of salvation. The only sin in the whole Bible that God will not forgive is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You know what that is? It's rejecting Jesus Christ. So if you have an inkling, have a thought, your heart's a little bit open this morning thinking, you know, I'm not really sure. You may not have another chance. I want to accept Jesus Christ today. I want to make sure that I know, that I know, that I know. We can enter the way of glory simply by facing our sin, confessing it, asking forgiveness, and saying, I believe with all my heart, Jesus Christ. For some of the rest of us here that know that we know that we know, maybe it's a question of, am I traveling the right path right now in my relationship with God? Jesus said, it's, you can enter the narrow gate or the broad gate. That's truly a hard, soul-searching question. If you say this morning that you're walking a path of righteousness, 
There might be, and you, and you probably are, but there might be some other questions we want to analyze and ask ourselves this morning based on what we just read here, the scripture we read. Is there clear evidence of a transformed life that authenticates my claim that I walk in righteousness? Is there evidence? Is there evidence that authenticates that? Question number two. Are you experiencing the blessedness of God's favor? Are you experiencing the blessedness of God's favor? Question number three. Are you living a a separated life distinct from the beliefs, behavior of the ungodly? Are you living a separated life? Question number four. Have you made a break with the world? I'm not straddling the fence. I'm not a double-minded man. The Bible tells us that. If you are, you're confused. The final question that would lead to all the rest of these things falling in line is my delight in the law of the Lord. Do I delight in God's holy word? Maybe it's a time to rededicate today. And the last thought here in conclusion Remember when Jesus Christ was hanging upon that cross? He said a number of things, but one of the things he said was, I'm not going to say this, one of the things he didn't say is, I'm finished. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm finished. He says, it is finished. I got good news for you. Jesus Christ is just getting started in your life and my life. It is finished. The mission he came to die for our sins got finished. But that means he's getting ready. It's just the beginning of him getting ready in your life and my life to do incredible, amazing things for the glory of God. I know your heart's like mine this morning. We want to see God do even greater things in our church. We've seen good things in the past. I believe the best days are still ahead. I believe with all my heart where we need to go in our lives individually is ask God to start that revival in my heart. God, show me the things in my heart that aren't pleasing to you. The things maybe that are pleasing, but I can do better. I can do greater things in these things. God, speak to my heart today. That's my plea for you in just a few moments as we have an invitation. God, I give my life to you this morning. I surrender everything. I want my life to belong to you. I no longer want to live in the way of the world. I want to delight in you.